Hello and welcome to Own Your Truth with Laura T, where we're talking real advice for regular people. I am Laura T. Thank you so much for listening. I know there's lots of ways you can spend your time and I'm always grateful that you spend an hour each Sunday with me. This week, the entire show is dedicated to you. That's right, I'm going to spend the entire hour totally focused on answering your questions. As you know, each week, this is my favorite part of the show, and often questions come in after a specific topic has been aired, or sometimes even a terrific question comes in that's not directly related to a show topic. So I thought I would use an hour each and every each and every quarter to answer your questions, and there are lots of good ones. Over the past couple months, and specifically during the past two weeks, you have sent in questions on topics ranging from working with colleagues and real estate to finances and parenting. We're going to cover them all, I promise. So I figured since I'm mixing things up this week, I'm going to change everything, which means I am not going to start this week's show with Own Your Truth Good News. However, I am going to start well, because as you know, you always get more of what you focus on. And so now that it's Easter Sunday and happy Easter to those who celebrate, um, I thought it would be helpful to spend some time tonight um, looking at ways that you can really share good news and gratitude with your family. So uh, I thought I would share a couple of the rituals that we have in our house that help us focus on our good news. And um, maybe you'll try them on and see if they fit for you at home. So in our house, one of the things that we do to uh, start well and keep gratitude in mind is um, we have a positive jar. It's really kind of cool. My daughter Taylor made it in January and it's a small jar we fill with notes about positive things that happen to us. Essentially, right? It's our family's good news. So in the jar, we have notes about everything from making a snowman during the one substantial snowstorm we had this year to grandma coming for a visit. And even I put in a note about enjoying special time with my kids, Mitch and Taylor. And so you can put anything in there that you want. And what's really cool is that although some family members fill it more than others, it's all, we all get to take a look at it and remember fun and special memories. And I know just the other day, you know, I was having kind of a stinky day. So I just opened up the jar and looked at some of the notes and it just brought a smile to my face and to my heart. And so um, that's one of the things we've been using in our family to help us um, focus on gratitude and positive things happening in our world. Another ritual we have is every night we essentially start dinner well. And what that means for us is that we go around the table and each person shares three things that they're grateful for that day. Um, you know, this started because when I'm working with my clients, each and every session I ask them about their successes. And I find that it's so easy for us to focus on and stack kind of the stinky stuff that happens. And how often do you list and focus on all of the great stuff? And so I do it with my clients and it works really well. And so I thought, how can I, you know, implement this at home? And so what we did is um, this idea of three things that we are most grateful for. And, um, you know, it's really great because the benefit is First, you know, it starts the conversation around the dinner table in a positive way. And it also has everyone kind of searching their brain for three things that went really well that day. And we've all started to look forward to it. So this past week, we had to rush through dinner Tuesday night because there was a basketball tournament and there was a track meet and there was a ton of things going on, like so many of us have, right? And we forgot to do our gratitude during dinner. Well, it was really cute the next day when we were at dinner, um, my son Mitch suggested we do six each because we really should catch up on the day that we missed. And so we've started this ritual and it's something that we all look, with, look forward to. So um, try it on, see if it works and see how you can start well. 
you know, I offer these as ideas, but anything you do to remind yourself and your family of all the positive things that happen in your world is really fantastic and it has a huge impact on your mindset. So what ritual do you want to implement to focus on the good news in your family? Also, if you have something that you already do that works really well and or you have a family ritual you want to share, please, please go to the Own Your Truth with Laura T. Facebook page. I would love to hear from you and know what's working in your family. Before we get to your questions, a little friendly reminder, if you missed last week's show on the mindset of money, you can access the recording on the Own Your Truth with RT Facebook page. And when you click on that link, you'll find previous week's shows there as well. So check them out. Let me know what you think. Let me know what works for you, what doesn't work for you. And if you have topic ideas you want me to cover, please make a comment, share with me your ideas. I'd love to make sure that uh, we get your topics and your interests covered uh, during each week. For one hour, you have access to a free coach. And I keep reminding you of this because I, it's so important for you to recognize the benefit and to send in your questions and hear them answered live on the show. Again, there are people who have to pay lots of money to have access to someone to give them um, guidance and advice. And so I'm here each week for you. Please keep sending in your questions. Now, let's get to the good stuff. A few people sent in multiple questions, so I won't mention names and towns with each question, but I do want to give a quick shout out to all of those who sent in questions um, between this week and the past few weeks. I appreciate it, and I'm so glad to have you as part of the community. So a huge thank you to Toby, Gabby, Lorena, Marie, Anthony, and Deb. And a thank you to all the loyal listeners, even if you're not sending in questions. I'm so grateful to have you listening each and every week. Okay, let's get to tonight's first question. Uh, the person who wrote in says, I feel like most of the time, most of my time is spent trying to get other people to do their jobs, my employees to get them to do their work on time, my kids to finish their homework, my husband to help with chores. How can I manage this better? This is such a great question and can be challenging to deal with. So there's a couple of piece of advice I'll, I'll give you. Um, first and foremost, it's vital to keep in mind that we teach people how to treat us. And so know that people are not following through with their jobs or following through with their homework or um, helping out with chores because you've taught them that they don't need to. And so recognizing this is really important so that you can decide what do you want to do next? It's really about that energy management. Um, sometimes there may be instances where, you know what, it will be easier to do it yourself. However, you don't want to be taking back work, especially in the workplace. So what often happens is people who are people pleasers um, will give you know, work to their uh, subordinates and uh, expect that it will be taken care of. And then it comes back and it's not done at the level that you want, or it may not be done at all. And so, uh, or they'll come back with questions and it's easier in the moment you think to just take it back and do the work yourself. However, you are not giving that individual the opportunity to rise to their own potential. And so I'm always looking at what questions can you ask to help people self-discover that the assignment isn't done. And it also helps those people-pleaser type people um, not have to deal with confrontation, right? Again, there's a desire to you know keep peace and keep things calm and, oh, it's no big deal, I'll do it myself, except when taking on all this responsibility weighs on you and it prevents you from doing your own job or for showing up prevents you from showing up in your family at the level that you want. And so um, making sure that you've sort of set the standard for what you expect. And then when you get the work done back and it's not complete, asking questions, you know, what would it take for you to you know, bring this assignment up to the next level. Um, I'm getting more 
tonight I'm being more general because I don't know the specifics around these situations, but you, you want to be really specific when you, what would it take um, for you to complete this on your own? What three questions do you need me to answer to take this work and complete it on your own, right? So it's not taking the work back. It's giving them an opportunity to learn from what they've done, what they can do better, and giving them the opportunity to stay accountable for what they said they would do. And so that's sort of at the workplace. When you're looking at home, it's making sure that you've discussed the standards and expectations with your family. You know, having kids finish their homework, I mean, quite honestly, my approach to that is they don't have to. And then they suffer the consequences of not doing their homework. Now, that's a totally different approach than most parents would take. But I know that I can't spend my energy trying to get my kids to do what they need to. Sometimes they just need to suffer the consequences of it. Um, I also know that human nature is when I push, they're going to push back. And so fighting over homework is not, again, someplace that I want to spend my energy. So what can you do? You know, it's having those conversations with your kids about um, standards and expectations. And it's those standards and expectations that they set for themselves. Um, and, you know, you can reference the, the parenting show. I actually do talk about um, homework and grades during that episode. And you can find that on the Own Your Truth with RT Facebook page. Um, and then when it comes to, you know, having your husband help with chores, you know, on that one, it's making sure that you've both agreed that those are the chores that he's going to do, right? Sometimes we just assume that our spouse is going to help out because that's what you would do. That doesn't work for most behavioral styles. And so it's sitting down and saying, hey, listen, I need a hand. Oftentimes, you know, we have an expectation and we've never asked for help. So listen, I need a hand. What are some chores around the house you're willing to be responsible for? Um, and deciding that in advance of, you know, having to argue about it in the moment. I know one of the big things... Um, for our household and not so much with my husband, but definitely with my kids is picking up their stuff, right? I got so tired of listening to myself tell them to pick up their stuff that um, actually I will tell them once. And if they don't pick up their stuff, I then take it and they can get it back in two weeks or if it's something they need immediately, like sneakers for gym or a computer or their phone, they can pay me $10 to get it back immediately. And so there's a consequence for it. I was tired of listening to myself say the same thing over and over. And so again, you look at setting the standards, communicating those standards, and especially with children, making sure that there's a consequence um, for not st staying true to that standard. I hope this helps out with managing better. Um, there's lots to this topic, and I could probably talk about it for a full hour, um, but wanted to give you some tips on how to deal with each one of these situations individually. The next question is, I need guidance at work, but I hesitate to ask my boss, who often criticizes people who ask for help, what can I do? That's a really great question as well. Um, you know, First, if you work with someone who criticizes people for asking for help, you want to look and decide, is that an environment that you really want to be in? Um, you know, a lot of people will will settle for what they have um, because there's a fear of change or there's a hesitation to make a move. And, you know, we have this one opportunity for this life experience. And if you're someone who's growth minded, if you're someone who simply just needs help, it can be really challenging to be in an environment where it's not safe, where you don't feel safe to ask for that help. So the number one thing I'd suggest is really looking at that environment and is that a place that you want to stay at. Um, if you decide for whatever reason, you know what, I, I do want to stay here, I, I love what I do, I, I have a mission here, um, fantastic. I would then sit down with your boss and have a conversation about um, what it would take to be comfortable asking for help in specific situations. Sometimes 
behaviorally, you'll have a boss who is really fast paced and high driving and you think that they aren't, don't want you to ask for help because their response can be kind of gruff and direct when it's, they actually don't care if you ask for help. They just aren't going to spend a lot of time answering you, right? That's behaviorally what could happen. And in those instances, it's really important to sit down with your boss during a weekly, bi-weekly meeting and um, acknowledge that I have some questions that I would like answered. What is a way, a way that's comfortable for me to ask you questions, right? Um, so that, again, you're looking at finding a way to communicate that's comfortable for both of you. And so often what happens is, um, those support people. So let's use that high driving, fast paced individual. Their support people tend to be slower paced and want more questions so that they feel certain they're doing a good job in the work. It's also making sure that you are limiting the number of questions you ask to focus on what you specifically need. So I always suggest, you know, what are the top three questions you need answered to make progress on a project, right? So what this does is it limits the number of questions you need to ask so that it's a manageable number for the person you're working with, but also gives you the opportunity to ask questions so that you can solve whatever problem it is that you're working on. So again, this is one suggestion that you could use. Um, I hope this helps. Try it on and, and let me know. Come back to the Own Your Truth with RT Facebook page and let me know if um, having this conversation with your boss helps. Okay, the next question is, <clears throat> how can I inspire my employees without giving false praise? So, um, you know, praise is something that's really interesting because it can be perceived differently depending on um, the behavioral style of the people that you're working with. And so um, I'm always just asking the people that I work with, how do you like to be shown praise? How do you like to be appreciated? Um, for some people, too much praise can feel like false praise. Um, for other people, they actually thrive on it. And so you talk about inspiring your employees and that's such a beautiful notion. And I, I tend to suggest people stay away from this idea of inspiring or motivating people um, because it, it tends to be very temporary. And when you're working with employees on a day-to-day -day basis, you want something that's more long-term. And so I'm looking at what does it take to help coach them, right? I'm not even talking about managing people with my clients anymore because there is such a deep-rooted desire and need for coaching. And um, and that's not coaching like I provide, but just this idea of asking questions and understanding people at a deeper level. And so that it comes across as very genuine so that you can build trust and rapport at a level more than just surface employee boss. And so I'm looking at ways to appreciate them and show them praise that really works for them. And I'm not giving it all of the time. I'm giving it when there's specific situations that warrant it, right? Because, you know, as you indicate here, someone who's just always telling people that they're great, it loses its impact. Um, so you want to make sure that you're giving praise when it's appropriate and you're also giving praise and appreciation in the way that your employee likes it and will respond to it. That will help you long-term both build your relationship and build energy and momentum in your office. So I hope that helps. You are listening to Own Your Truth with Laura T. And tonight I'm answering your questions. We have a lot more where these came from. So stay tuned after this brief commercial break. We are back and you're listening to Own Your Truth with Laura T. Tonight I'm covering lots of different topics and answering your questions from the Own Your Truth with Laura T Facebook page. Let's jump into the next question. How can I set myself up to get the most out of career or life coaching? That's a great question. Um, 
you know, I think that when you begin to consider coaching of any type, it's really important for you to think about what is the result you want from the coaching. Um, and result, not, not the goal that you want to achieve, but the overall result you want from having someone by your side to guide you, to give you a different perspective, to have that outsider view. Thinking about that in advance becomes really important. And, you know, the other key is to interview multiple coaches. Um, so much of coaching is having the right match. And, you know, although I worked for a coaching company where we're taught to coach anyone at any time on any topic, I also recognize that I am a better fit for some people than other people. And that's okay. And so you want to make sure that if you are considering hiring a life or career coach, that you find someone who is a really good match for you. Um, and so I'm making a list of all of the characteristics of a coach that I would appreciate. Um, I would also make a list of the characteristics of a coach that like would not be a good fit for you. You want to make sure that you do this in advance of starting to interview coaches so that you're not easily persuaded by a salesperson or um, easily persuaded by liking someone who is a coach. You know, I have a lot of people who during an initial interview, they will like me. And yet once we start the coaching process, um, they quickly find out I may be likable, but I'm also going to hold you accountable. And some people aren't comfortable with that. And in those instances, we want to end the relationship. And even that's okay, right? So another suggestion I'm going to give you is that if you hire a career or life coach, and in the first three or four sessions, you recognize, you know what, this isn't a match, do not hesitate to end the relationship. It's a benefit for both you and the coach. You know, I look at the my style of coaching is, you know, at the end of every session, I'm asking what was the benefit of this call? Because if my clients didn't get a benefit from each and every call, then they get a second call for free. It's really making sure that you reach your outcome, not just overall during the term of your coaching, but also each and every session. You know, being a coach, I hire coaches and it's so frustrating when I'm working with a coach and I have an outcome and by the end of the call, I don't even know what we've talked about. Um, so again, being really specific about what you're looking for in a life or career coach, determining in advance the result that you want from coaching, and then making sure that you are getting a benefit from each and every call. This is an investment of your time and money, and don't be afraid to end a relationship if it's not working. I hope that helps. Okay, the next question is, what resources do you suggest to help us manage or focus on our career goals? Wow, this question is big and broad. Um, so I'm going to chunk it down the same way I suggest you chunk down your goals. Um, there's actually a terrific quote by a strategic coach named Tony Jerry. And he says, go as far as you can see so you can go farther. And I mention that here because often people will overestimate what they can accomplish in a year. And then they spend each week, each month, each quarter trying to catch up to what's often an imaginary goal or figure or number. And um, it can be so frustrating. And Honestly, it's demoralizing for people. And as a coach, I'm saying, wait a second, like, let's chunk this down and let's stack your successes and build slowly so that it's sustainable. So when I look at, you know, what resources do you suggest? Um, there isn't a book, there isn't, you know, something specific in, in that way that I would recommend because you don't, oftentimes you don't need to learn more. You simply need to implement what you know. Um, so, you know, what is the result that you want over the next month? Um, I, I start off with a month because I want you to see success within that month. And then you work up to three months and then 
at three months, you're working up to six months, and then we're working up to a year. Um, when I start a coaching contract with anyone, we start off with three-month goals so that um, the first term tends to be three months, and that's typically how long it takes someone to build up a sustainable momentum. And it's amazing what happens to clients when they can see success in just three months, where if we waited a year, it feels so far away. Um, there's sort of this loss of energy and momentum. When you start to look at a month and three months, it seems uh, sustainable and attainable, and it allows you to keep your energy. So I would suggest, you know, when you're looking at your career goals, um, starting with the result that you want over the next month or three months, and then building on your success after that. I hope that helps. Okay, the next question I'm so excited somebody asked this. Um, what does own your truth mean? Um, this is such a great question. So own your truth is a statement that we use in our household a lot um, because I really want everyone in the house to feel comfortable owning their truth. And it simply means like you don't have to hide how you really feel. And so I use it with things as simple as, you know, hey, do you want to go to the grocery store with me? You know, I say to my kids and they give me that look and they're kind of like, uh, uh, pause, uh. you know, they feel bad. They don't want to say no because they know I don't want to go either. Um, but they really don't want to say yes because the thought of going to the grocery store is not exactly a fun time. And so um, I will say to them, own your truth. How do you really feel? And uh, inevitably, the answer to the grocery store question is always a no. Um, and so it's something we also use with bigger things, you know, if I'm talking to my husband about going to, uh, let's say, a family event, and he would much rather go fishing, then um, I will say, you know what, own your truth about this. What do you want to do? And it's like this statement is the pattern interrupt for um, politeness that goes beyond polite and actually makes us miserable, right? It's no longer feeling like you have to do things out of obligation. It gives, uh, at least in our family, it gives the opportunity for people to really be truthful about what they want and how they feel. So I decided to use that for this show because I wanted to share information that I hope helps people own their own truth, um, whether it's at home or at work or, um, you know, with family or with kids um, or colleagues. Um, and I also wanted to give myself permission to own my truth as I'm answering questions. You know, being uncertain about the audience um, has me sometimes want to say the polite thing where um, my clients will know, Although I am kind with um, my directness, I am very direct during sessions. And um, we don't do a lot of uh, dilly-dallying, feel-good. Um, it really is about my clients owning their truth. You know, when you make a commitment and you don't follow through and there's a pattern of that, it's important you own your truth about what's really happening there. Um, and so it's sort of my overarching statement for people to be truthful with themselves and the people around them. And so I'm psyched that uh, you asked this question and I hope that it's something that maybe you feel you can use in in um, your home and at work and with the people you care about as well. It's really powerful. Okay, the next question is, what do you look for in hiring people if you can't use an assessment tool? Okay, so this question comes from someone who knows me and knows my process. Um, when I am working with a client or when whether I'm hiring myself, I do use a DISC assessment. It is um, a tool that helps me understand and helps the person I'm working with understand their behavior and how they show up. Um, and so not a lot of companies have access to this for hiring. And um, so this question... Uh, it continues by also saying, how can you read a good fit in just a couple of hours of interviewing? Well, so the truth 
owning my truth, right? We just talked about this uh, and, and understanding that I come from a, a biased perspective. I don't feel like you can get an honest read on someone during a couple hour interview simply because of the nature of how interviews are set up, right? You're at your best, they're at their best. Um, and often people when hiring are overly optimistic about um, who they're hiring and how the situation is going to be once a person is on board. Likewise, the candidate is often willing to accept things that aren't their ideal um, because they're overly optimistic. I can make it work. Oh, you know, this can, um, I'll find a way because either they need a job or they really want a job. Um, I've worked with lots of people in hiring situations where they didn't need a job financially, but their desire to be employed was so important um, that they were willing to sacrifice things that were um, on their must-haves when it came to um, their next position because they, having a job was more important uh, to them for, for whatever reason. Um, so again, I believe that an assessment tool is important. If you do not have access to an assessment tool, then I'm asking the tough questions. And actually, this is what I do for a lot of the clients that I work with. I will come up with hiring questions um, that help find ways it won't work, right? Oftentimes, we're looking at hiring questions as, you know, how will it work? How will you show up? And it's very pleasant. Well, I want to get at, like, what's going to happen when things are really bad? Because your response to that helps me understand if you're a good cultural fit, right? I want to know how are you going to respond when your boss comes in, gives you very little direction, and tells you to start on a project, right? There's no right or wrong answer to that question. You get to see how resourceful someone is by leaving it broad and open-ended like that. Um, I'm also looking at someone's resume and asking very specific questions about um, their past work history. You know, I'm saying, I'm asking questions. One of my favorites is, um, if you could change one thing about the place that you worked, what would it be? You know, this gives people an opportunity to dive into what typically shows up as challenges in a workplace, and you get to see how they vocalize that and how they felt about it. Um, it also gives you insight to how they would face, you know, um, a challenge in in your work environment, right? I'd also follow that question up with um, knowing that that was something that you saw needed to be changed. What did you personally do about that? Um, again, this gives you an ability to start to explore their willingness to um, to make change or to vocalize it. And again, there's no right or wrong answer to this. Some behavioral styles aren't comfortable making a change or suggesting that change should be made. And, and that's where you get to explore what would it take for you to feel comfortable and confident uh, discussing a change that you thought was necessary, right? So there's lots of ways that you can explore the hiring process in greater depth through questions, I'm coming up with at least 20 questions that I'm asking a candidate and specifically looking at ways it won't work in your environment to see how they respond. So that's what I would do if I didn't have an assessment tool. But again, keeping in mind my own bias, um, that an assessment tool is one of the best ways to help discover if someone um, is going to be a cultural fit. And also know that in using any tool, you do not hire or fire people based on this assessment. It gives you a place to get more curious. It gives me a place to go deeper into my questions because I can see how their behavior is going to work or not work, especially with leadership. Um, and so please know that there is not a single assessment tool out there that should be or legally can be used to hire or fire someone. It gives you a greater place for curiosity and understanding. And no matter what, you're coming up with really terrific deep questions to understand how the person will show up once they're on the job. I hope that helps. Okay. So these questions have been awesome. Let's take a quick break to feature this week's musical artist of the week. I am featuring Lee Silvestri. Lee was Own Your Truth 
first artist of the week and so far the only returning artist because he is pumping out new music that is so good I have to share it. You know, um, as I was preparing for tonight's show, I thought, oh, I should say something different about Lee in his intro. But, you know, I met up with Lee last week and realized, you know, what, I'm probably going to say most of the same stuff because it's so true. You know, Lee is one of those cool people who starts off as an acquaintance and then just quickly becomes a friend. And then after two years of knowing him and conversations and coffee, I found out he's like crazy talented. Um, I had seen him play guitar and sing as backup for a couple of other people. And it wasn't until uh, he shared with me his his passion of sort of being in the limelight that um, I was like, holy moly, he can sing. He's totally talented. Uh, so I am honored to be one of the first few recipi recipients each time he puts out a new song. I totally love his soul and his sound, and I hope you feel the same way. For an amazing person, finally gaining the momentum and musical attention he deserves, I'm proud to be the first to play his latest EP, released at the beginning of the month. Here is Looking Back Now by Lee Silvestri. Enjoy. Let's give it up for Lee Silvestri, Looking Back Now. Lee's music, it just feels good. If you are interested in hearing more of Lee's sound, I will be posting a link to his website on the Own Your Truth uh, Facebook page after the show. Okay, if you are someone who is talented like Lee or you know someone who would like to hear their music live on the show, as you know, I feature an artist each week, so send me a message on the Own Your Truth uh, Facebook page and have your music considered to be shared live on the show each week. Let's get back to your questions. Okay, now we're diving into a totally different topic. Um, this one is, I'm a landlord. Is there a way to deal with tenants that are continuously late with their rent, uh, paying at the end of the month rather than the first of the month when it's due? So um, interesting enough that I get this question about real estate. I was a realtor for eight years and being in real estate introduced me to the assessment that I use and it was part of this really beautiful journey I've had into coaching. Um, and so, you know, when we look at dealing with tenants, it's the same thing as dealing with anyone else. Again, I mentioned at the beginning of the show, answering one of the questions, you know, we teach people how to treat us and being a landlord, it's so important that you are establishing and setting standards at the beginning of a relationship. Um, it's important that you also set up consequences. Um, being a landlord myself, I know that having tenants uh, has its gifts and its challenges. And it's just really important that you are articulating articulating in writing what the standards are um, so that there are consequences. So for instance, in my lease, if you are more than 15 days late and know that depending on your state, there may be different rules about um, additional fines uh, for late rent, but there are laws that protect the landlord. And so you want to know uh, what your state laws are. If you own a residential rental property, I suggest a book called Every Landlord's Legal Guide. It's by uh, NOLO, and it will outline um, the laws specific to each state. It's a book that I was given when I bought my first rental property. I think I was, I was 23 years old, and so um, it's been a guide, and it's helpful, again, because it breaks down state by state uh, what the laws are. So... Um, Again, there are laws that protect landlords. It's also important that you set standards of what you expect from your tenants, especially when it comes to rent. I mean, you're dependent on that rent to pay your mortgage, to pay your bills. And so you wanna make sure that um, you are uh, having the tenant hold up on their responsibility and while making sure that you obey whatever your state laws are. I hope that I hope that helps. Um, love real estate questions. Maybe we'll even do a show uh, just on real estate. Okay, on to the next question. In the country where I live, there's a huge need for coaching teenagers. This individual is not from the U.S. Um, first, how do you help motivate teenagers? And are there any books that you recommend for coaching teenagers? Uh, so this is a really great question. Um, you know, I'll start off 
by saying, and this is a repeat of uh, something I'd mentioned in one of the earlier questions, is that I don't look to motivate or inspire people. Um, motivation is something that comes internally, and so it's not something that I can help create in people. Um, it's something I look to uh, help people understand their own self-motivations. And then this idea of inspiring, it's really great. It can be energizing and yet it tends not to be long lasting. And so those aren't two things that I'm looking to um, use with teens or adults. Um, however, I am looking to um, help people self-discover and understand themselves better. Um, again, whether it be teens or adults, I will say that I do use a teen assessment. Um, it is also a DISC assessment, which I mentioned earlier. Um, and DISC is, uh, helps people understand how they show up. It's a very simple online assessment and it gives me an opportunity to explore with teens, there's a youth version, um, how they show up. And the beautiful thing about using an assessment and doing a debrief, which means spending time going through the assessment with an individual, is allowing them to see, DISC is neutral language, so there's neither good, there's no, neither bad uh, behavioral styles, Everybody is a gift exactly the way they are. And saying that to a teenager is so empowering because teenagers are at that stage where they're questioning themselves and they, they're everything. I mean, their brains neurologically are at a point where they're challenging and questioning everything. And so, um, having them see it on paper and having them see like, this is the gift of who you are, um, is really, really a powerful tool. So I do use assessment, an assessment. If you don't have access to an assessment, you know, go in with curiosity, asking teens questions about themselves and what they think and preventing yourself from giving an answer or an option is really important. Oftentimes they have answers deep down inside and when you ask questions, get curious about um, how they're feeling and, and what they want, what's the result that they want um, is often a really great question and surprisingly they have an answer to it. You also, in the second part of this question, asked about books that I would recommend for coaching teenagers. So I don't um, have books specifically related to teenagers that I'm reading, although I'm sure there are many. I'm really looking at development um, as an overarching theme in what I am reading. I do have two books that are focused on child in terms of the title. However, they do explore um, teens, tweens and teens. Um, the first one is one that I read when uh, my daughter was four and it's called The New Strong-Willed Child by uh, Dr. James Dobson. Um, it's a really great book, although it focuses on strong-willed children, there are great techniques in here you can use with any child. Um, and so it does go through the different stages of development. I will let you know there are um, religious overtones to it. Um, it's not so much that it's offensive, but I do mention it in case that's something that would be a turnoff for you. Um, and then The Whole Brain Child, I don't have the author's name here, but I'll post both of these on uh, the Own Your Truth with Laura T. Uh, Facebook page so that you can check them out um, is a really great book that um, really was the first to have me recognize that the logical side of a kid's brain doesn't develop until they're in their mid-20s and yet we speak to teens especially as if they're logical they're not they're these emotional chemical swarming beings um, and so you know understanding that gives me new perspective and working with teens. So again, two great books that I recommend. Teens and parents are um, a passion for me and areas where I am looking and uh, currently in the process of writing my own sort of instruction manual um, for that stage because it can be such a great gift and even with its challenges. So um, I hope that you reach out and we stay in touch on this topic. Okay, let's take a look. I think we have time for one more question before the next commercial break. Um, how do you guide your child to avoid school drama 
and toxic people when she's put in the middle? This is a really great question um, because uh, in observing lots of teen, especially girls, there's a lot of drama. And so it can feel like you kids sort of just fall into it. Um, and so again, like anything else, I'm going in with uh, curiosity and I'm asking questions. Um, if you have a child that is prone to drama, something like a question could be what were you looking to achieve when you got involved with the situation you know did you reach that outcome another question so important how likely was it for you to reach your outcome with your approach you know sometimes well-intended comments can um, come out wrong or be perceived wrong or, or harsh on the other side and so this question helps your kids step out of him or herself and evaluate their actions and it actually prevents you as the adult from explaining it like oh you know when you do that this happens it gives them an opportunity to self-discover and explore this idea of um, stepping out of themselves which is really important in terms of um, mental development in relationships with people um, another question I'm asking is uh, what would you do differently next time um, an another a thing could be, you know, on a scale of one to 10, one being not at all and 10 being totally able, in the moment, how likely are you able to carry out your, a changed response, right? This this gets is such an important question because often well-intentioned kids um, will want to make a change or, or they'll say something that they think like they're supposed to say, but inside they know that's not going to work for them. You want them to own their truth and be honest about it because if that option isn't going to work for them, you want to talk about an option that will work for them. Um, you really want to get to the truth um, so that you can help guide them to what will be something um, that will work. So couple of ideas. Again, you see a lot of times I'm getting curious asking questions. Um, dive deeper. The kids have answers. And so asking questions is a great way to help them self-discover, you know, what they want and what they don't want in terms of um, drama and the experience in their life. You are listening to Own Your Truth with Laura T, and I'm answering your fantastic questions. There are so many areas in life where it's helpful to have an outside perspective, and that's exactly what I'm here to provide tonight. I have lots more questions to answer, so stay with us. We're back and you are listening to Own Your Truth with Laura T. And tonight I'm answering your questions from the Own Your Truth with Laura T Facebook page. We have a few more minutes, so let's see how many more of your questions we can get answered tonight. Okay, the next question has a little bit of a backstory. I live in a small community and recently the superintendent of the middle school where I work was arrested for drunk driving. He also left the scene of the accident, which involved property damage. How do I avoid the gossip happening at the school right now? So this is a really great question. And um, gossip, obviously this is a big situation, but gossip is something that can be so toxic for a community and for an environment. Um, and so, you know, the first thing I'm saying, suggesting step back of the situation and think about what if you made a life altering negative decision? I mean, taking it from that perspective. Everybody makes mistakes. And I think right now um, there's so much quick judgment that comes. And um, a lot of it is easy because we spend so much time judging, right? There's Whether it's social media, whether it's the news, there's a lot of judging going on. What happens when you step back and you be really human and you ask yourself, what if I was in that situation? What if I made a horrible, horrible mistake that altered the fundamental way in which I live. I mean, thinking about it from that perspective will help you, will hopefully help you stay away from um, the gossip that inevitably happens. You know, the other thing I'm asking um, in, in terms you, you can see throughout the show, I'm often getting curious and asking questions. So, you know, I'm looking at the people around me and asking, what is the result that you want from talking about this or gossiping about this? 
often that question has people step back from their own behavior, right? It's natural for us to want to tell stories and to want to share and to want to get perspective. And yet in a negative situation like this, does this help anything or anyone? So what is the result that you want from gossiping about the situation? Um, and then for you personally to decide in advance, what do you want? What is a perspective you can take on the situation that will help you get through it? right? Something negative happened. That's the truth. And yet you get to decide how you respond to it. And so um, it may be helpful for you to come up with a standard comment that allows you to acknowledge the conversation, but not participate in it. So, you know, a suggestion could be for a comment. Oh, interesting. Yeah, interesting. I, I choose to send him positive energy during this time and understand what I can learn from the experience right? So that gets to be your comment when, you know, somebody's talking about it, you get to say, oh yeah, it's interesting. I choose to send him positive energy during this time and I choose to understand what I can learn from this experience. And then you may even want to ask them, like, what do you want to gain? What do you want to learn from this? Um, I always look at life and this is a cliche that's used often, right? We're either growing or we're dying. And so, Gossip is more of a dying activity and you get to decide in this situation, do you want to choose to grow from it or die from it? And, you know, in this instance, the consequences often, you know, the dying of a community that I'm sure is really wonderful and really positive. And, um, you know, you get to decide how you want to show up in this situation. So, I hope that helps. Um, again, gossip is a tough is a, a tough thing to avoid, and yet we've got to work at finding ways to avoid it because it brings us down. All right. Next, um, these questions. There's actually a couple of them that came in from last week's um, mindset of money uh, conversation episode, and so um, one of the questions is. How should I think of the gifts to nonprofits as part of my annual budget? I want to give, but it seems like I never have enough left over to make a difference. You know, this is a great question because so many people feel this way. And yet, you know, my first job out of college was as a fundraiser for a small uh, university in New Hampshire. And I know from being in that community that every gift counts. Participation in giving is such an important factor that we often overlook. And participation could mean a dollar a week, right? I mean, we spend more than a dollar a week on coffee. Participation could be $10 a year, right? This doesn't have to be something that um, sets your family back or something that you plan for financially. A gift is just that. It's a gift. And every financial gift is um, can make a difference because so often it's about the participation. I hope that helps. Okay, I want to thank you. That's all the time we have for questions today. If you enjoyed this format, please let me know on the Own Your Truth with Laura T Facebook page. I'm thinking about hosting a quarterly Q&A, but I need your feedback. And I, as always, I need your questions. So keep them coming in. Thank you again for joining me. Next Sunday's show is on the social impact of social media. It's a hot topic and an important one to talk about. So we'll do that next Sunday, April 21st from 8 to 9 p.m. This is Laura T. on Own Your Truth. I'll hear you then. Good night.